You guys are very sweet. Really. You are. The uh, emails I've been getting about my new book, Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight, have been amazing. Um, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I wrote a young adult book about murder. <laughs> I was pretty sure I was going to be getting some uh, disapproving librarians, angry parents, and furious priests uh, all coming after me. Uh, but that hasn't been the case at all. Is the book dark? Yes, it is. It's about two teen detectives trying to solve a murder, uh, actually a series of murders, one particularly bloody summer in San Francisco. It's not light. But amidst all the carnage, thrash metal, cleaver-wielding henchmen, poison darts, and organ removal, the book really is about friendship. Unorthodox, yes, uh, but that's how I do things in this world. Anyway, I'll answer all your emails. I will. I will uh, get on that. There's been a lot of them, and I'm very appreciative. Um, I will be sending back the books that you've sent me to sign. And uh, hopefully, if this pandemic ever gets solved, I'll be in your area, in your town, in your city, reading at your local bookstore. As I mentioned last show, some emails I'll answer on the air, like this one from Ross from Ridgefield, Connecticut. Ross writes, Greetings from Verdant, Western Connecticut. Longtime fan of all your work, be it Stereo Embers Magazine, Stereo Embers the Podcast, Emergency Anthems, or your latest triumph, Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight. You are a true renaissance man. Oh, thank you, Ross. Looking at your packed footlocker of work and accomplishments, would you call yourself a writer, a podcast host, a DJ, an editor? Which comes first? Well, great question, Ross. And uh, while it is true uh, that all the things you pointed out uh, that I'm involved in, uh, do keep me busy. Uh, I, I think of myself first and foremost as a doula. That's, that's really where I think I'm doing the most good in the world, uh, is my, my work in that area. No, but seriously, Ross, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but I will say this, as long as I'm being creative, I'm happy. Really, if I'm on the mic or I'm writing or I'm running the magazine, it's all part of one big creative endeavor and if I'm in the game that way, then I'm a happy guy. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. is the music of my guest today on the program, Tommy Emanuel. Let me tell you a little bit about Tommy Emanuel. So people ask me all the time if I wish that great composers like Bach or Mozart were alive in the modern age so I could have them on the podcast. 
And yes, of course, I'd love to have a chat with those guys, but the fact is there are great composers that are alive in the modern age, and I have gotten a chance to chat with them. One of those composers is Tommy Emanuel. Now, Tommy's story is remarkable, and his biography could really be its own podcast. Actually, it could be a series of podcasts. So, for the sake of time, let me give you the Notes version. Born in New South Wales, Tommy Emanuel got his start playing guitar at the age of four. That's right, four. By six, he was a professional working musician. That's right, six. He and his brother played in the family band, and they were later taken under the wing of the Australian country legend Buddy Williams. From there, he and his brother played in the band Gold Rush, then Tommy played with the Southern Star Band, Dragon, and John Farnham. This is ridiculous. I'm really expurgating Tommy's CV, but trust me, it's pages long. So these are cherry-picked highlights. He was nominated for two Grammys. He won a bunch of ARIA awards. He was given the esteemed Certified Guitar Player label by Chet Atkins. And he and his brother closed the 2000 Sydney Summer Olympics by playing to an estimated audience of 2.85 billion. (laughs) That's right, 2.85 billion. Oh, and in 2010, he was appointed a member of the Order of Australia. Not too shabby of a career, right? Emmanuel's oeuvre of solo albums makes up a stirring and elegant body of work, and his latest one, The Best of Tommy Songs, is a riveting career-spanning collection. It's a double album that finds Emmanuel re-recording his material to showcase not only how the songs have evolved over the years, but to augment them with modern arrangements. From well-known Emmanuel tracks like Angelina or It's Never Too Late to fan favorites like Mombasa, Emmanuel's reinterpretation of his own work only adds more texture and nuance to each composition. Tommy Emmanuel is the real deal, and he's a really nice guy. So enjoy my conversation with the legendary Tommy Emmanuel, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. been recording every day doing videos uh instruction things and i'm creating a new site through my friends at truefire um so people can log on and learn all the new songs from the album that's just come out all that sort of stuff um and trying to give people advice and help helpful things um and i'm basically spending a lot more time with my baby daughter um, and because she's she's like six minutes walk from here uh, with her mother and her grandmother and so I'm 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 doing both I'm I'm doing that and I'm um, you know uh, I'm having more time to to talk with my family and stuff like that you know and I'm trying to be a better cook <laughs> how's that going <laughs> Good. That's a good skill. I think that if someone had taught me, I, I can cook now, but I learned in my 30s, if someone had taught me in my 20s, I would have met way more girls, I think. Maybe so. There you go. It's girl. a good skill for, for a guy to have. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
are you generally um, a fairly relaxed guy or is what's going on in the world making you a little bit tense or how, how are you handling it on, a, on an emotional level? I'm always relaxed because I'm not in charge. I'm just a cog in the wheel and that's it. And uh, um, the moment I start pretending that I'm playing, you know, the moment I start playing God and trying to organize everything, big trouble. Yeah. I'm no yeah. good at that and that's not me. Um, you know, it takes you a long time, maybe a lifetime, to be comfortable with who you are and what you do. You know, I've, I've worked all my life to try and get half decent at something. And I realized that what it, what it, what it needed was for me to relax and just say, you can't be Django, you can't be George Benson. You can't be Larry Carlton. You can't be Steve Lukather. You can't be Segovia, blah, blah, blah. You, you can't do it because they're already taken. You have to be you. And uh, when I learned that lesson when, in my mid-30s, which was 30 years ago, um, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing. And so, you know, I just, I'm doing the best I can. Like, like I'll, I'll give you an example. This morning, I was up at 5.30. I, I went for a long walk in my neighborhood, came back. I was really charged to, to uh, attack these two videos that I'd been putting off because I, I technically wasn't ready to uh, um, have a go at them. So I started practicing and playing and I thought, okay, I'm gonna give it a go this morning. So I shot two videos this morning of, of songs that are difficult to play. And I did it all before 8 a.m. And I know it wasn't what I used to be able to do. And I had to say, I really need to do this every day for a week and then record it to get back to where I used to be. But uh, I had a go at it and it was pretty close, but it wasn't what it could be. And so I had to accept that this morning you know, and because um, when I'm touring, I'm playing on a level that's I'm constantly pushing it all the time because I have to. I've got to play a show tonight, two an hour, two hours of everything I can muster up and all that, then practice and all that sort of stuff. And um, when you don't have to do that, it's really hard to push yourself to, to keep that up. So there are some days where I play and I end up just kind of enjoying playing and, and, and I haven't really pushed my skills, you know? So most of the songs that I've written that are hard to play have been written when my skills were uh, Mount Everest for me now, you know? And that's just how it is. Do you mean that, you, that they were very complex and- They just take a lot of physical power. Yeah. Yeah, that you know, uh, that you got to work at like everything else. And if you, you know, like my focus has been on my children and being constant contact. I'm working on a film, and I'm shooting all these teaching videos. So I'm focused on all these, all this stuff going on. But I'm not actually like in the gymnasium going. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Yeah. I. I spoke to um, Steve Hackett, um, who you might, I don't know if you know him personally or not, but. Um, 
I don't know him personally, but I've always been a Hackett fan, right? I can see that. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Um, and he told me that he um, practices every day, um, which didn't surprise me. And so I wonder for you, do you, do you find that your daily discipline is as disciplined as it always has been? Is it better? Have you always been that guy? No, I'm not as disciplined as I used to be. Um, and um, I go through periods of where I put all the family stuff in front of everything. And then I kind of regret it for a couple of days because now I'm needed to do this and this, this, and I'm, you know, I'm not what I should be. And, and that's just life, you know? Yeah. I think I'm a better daddy now than I was 20 years ago. I think I'm, you know, a better brother than I was 20 years ago. But, you know, I think if I got to work on my skills and on, on my abilities and all that stuff, I could, I could build it back to where I would, I would be satisfying myself, you know, because I'm a hard taskmaster when it comes to, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you feel the limitations sometimes where like, Ooh, my, yeah. I got to practice harder. Yeah, totally. Well, I did this morning, mm. you know, and, and, but I could slow it down and go, there it is. Slow it down. Do it, do it, do it. Now let's bring it to tempo. My fingers are falling over themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting for me because a lot of the people who listen to this show are young musicians and yeah. I'm, I'm talking right now to one of the greatest players on the planet. And to hear you say, oh, this isn't quite right. I'm not, I'm not up to snuff here or there. I think it's really good for them to hear. It's, it's really important. But, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it because the other things that I've achieved have been more time with my, my daughter, given her more, more of my uh, uh, time and energy and working on other things uh, has been my, my focus. So, you know, the road is a different world. You know, mm. being on the road, being a guitar player, so to speak, um, you've got to be like, every single time I, I walk on stage, I'm going to give 110% and it's all or nothing. And that's how it is every night, you know. And I love it, and and I love that kind of pressure. Uh, I thrive on it, and I. But I, you know what? Even I'm so relaxed in the middle of all that. You know, when when I'm out there, if I make a mistake, then you know I'll either acknowledge it, or I'll 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 make it look like it it was nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I'll just get back on track. <clears throat> But um, uh, playing shows live, there is no feeling like that. And, and, and you cannot uh, re recreate that because it's, everything's happening at that moment and you're in this time, you know. And, th and that's why I often say to people, just turn your phone off and put it away and remember this experience you're having right now because this is never going to happen again. And even if you get it on film, it won't be the same feeling as what's happening right now. The immediacy is, is what you need. Yeah, and that's connected to spirituality, uh, 
uh, adrenaline, uh, spontaneity, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it also is a reminder to be present in the moment. Yeah. Uh, the older I get, the more I think the greatest gift we can give each other is our real presence mm -hmm. in this moment, you know? There was a great documentary about Amy Winehouse where Tony Bennett was, was you know, who just loved her and he was so sad about her being gone. And he said, he said, the thing about getting older is that you just get better at living life, at being a person. Yeah. And she didn't have a chance to do that. Do you feel that what you're saying, it sounds to me, is that as you've gotten older, you've become a better person? Better? I, so. I really hope so. You know, I think I've become a better listener more, more, than, more than anything because um, I was so busy out there trying to uh, tell people stuff that I'd learned and trying to help them that I'd, it's easy for me to get sidetracked into that world because people will listen to me. Right. And that <laughs> in itself, you know, and this is like bearing my honesty here, people will listen to me. And, and I appreciate that, but sometimes I need to shut up and listen to them, you know? So uh, I've learned that and, um, and it's been great for me to just chill, you know, like I'm here talking with you and, you know, I'm not trying to sell a million things. I'm not trying to get across all my, you know, all the stuff I know, whatever. Um, even if it's coming from the right place of trying to help. Um, it's so important that I learn to be honest, be fair, be a listener, be helpful, you know. How do you handle being watched? I mean, I would imagine, you know, when you, when you were younger, you were on uh, a, a massive stage with people watching you, and you still are. But how did you do that as a young man versus how do you do that now? Well, um, it's interesting, not many people have ever asked me that question, so thanks for that. Um, I can still remember when I, I joined the first big kind of uh, country music act in Australia, and I was in the band and my brother Phil was, was the lead guitar player, and I got the job playing in that band where I sang harmonies and I, I played harmony parts with my brother and all of a sudden I was kind of ushered in to what might be called the big time in my home country. I was making more money than I'd ever seen in my entire life on a weekly basis. You know, all of a sudden this was a professional outfit. This was uh, great players, great singing, good songs, great gigs. And, and it was, you know, it was very important and it was a great leap for me as a 16 year old. And I can remember the first big festival we played where we were one of the headlining acts and I'd never done anything that big in my life. And we, we, we came in and I saw these thousands of people and people everywhere and massive stage. And I'm, I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, anyway, we get backstage and it's a kind of open area with fencing. And all the fans are out there gawking in. They're looking at us. And I, it just kind of overwhelmed me a little bit. It was like, well, I was like a, uh, 
an animal in a cage at the zoo where everybody's gawking at you. And that was really weird. I suddenly became a bit self-conscious. And I went up to my brother and I said, Is it, how, do you, uh, how do you deal with this? Was all those people looking and blah, 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 you know? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's okay, they're all fans. You can go talk with them at the fence if you want. And, and, and I was like afraid at that time. Um, nowadays, I would walk in the back room. If there were people there, I'd go straight up to them and say, hello, glad you're here, blah, blah, blah. You know, but there was, I can still remember that. And you know, I've never told this story. So I just want you to know that. Um, it, that was my first experience of that kind of strangeness of fame and all that. And probably the truth is 99% of those people didn't know me from Adam, but mm. they knew I was playing with that guy. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, playing in places like, uh, Hungary and uh, Serbia, Croatia, um, Italy, France, Spain, Germany, all that. And there are people who wait for hours for you to come out of the, the stage door. And they've been standing out in the snow or something, you know, and you just feel so bad that you made them, that, that you had no idea they were waiting. And, and, you know, they're the kind of people that I come outside and I see them and I just hug them and, and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were waiting. I was busy talking with blah, 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 you know. And that's the beautiful part of it that, um, you know, I don't know what it is. Whatever it is that I do that does something for somebody is definitely worth getting out of bed for and doing your best at, you know. You, you're such a nice guy and, and even the nicest people um, when you're a young man and you get a lot of attention in your, in your early 20s or so, is that something that can go to your head if you're not careful? Well, you can give you a total warped per perception of everything. And, you know, be, let me say, beware of the golden boy syndrome. Okay? <laughs> and I'll tell you what that is. Okay. When you're young and you can actually play it's not you're some freak of nature. You can actually play and, and amaze people. And that's what myself and my brother, Phil, were like. By the time we were like, I was six and he was eight, we were playing songs that we heard on the radio and playing them really well, right? So, and we didn't think we were freaks. We were just doing what came natural to us and we were loving it. And every time we played, people like their jaw hit the ground. They were amazed, right? So you become the golden boy. You know, you can't do any wrong. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing. Um, because A, some people will immediately assume this is a circus act or, the, you know, they, they won't take you seriously as a musician, which is what you are in right. your own mind, right? So there I am uh, after my golden boy period, I'm about 17 and I was in Sydney, Australia. And I met, no, I was a bit older, I was 19. And I met a young banjo player who was about 15 and he was red hot and he had no one to play with him. He was way too good. There was no, there was no, you know, Tony Rice and Doc Watson in Australia, believe me. And so in those days, I was kind of it and that's it, you know? And so 
him and I hooked up and his mum and dad heard us play together and they were just over the moon because finally he'd found someone who could play with him. You know what I mean? And so he was like the Baylor Fleck of, of, of uh, Australia. So we end up getting on this TV show and we play Dixie Breakdown at a million miles an hour and he just tears it up and I take a solo and the audience goes nuts. Everybody gives us a standing ovation. It's a great moment. And the host of the show says, come on over. And I, and, and I put my guitar down and he says, no, not you, the young fella. And that was the end of the golden boy. Yeah. You were no longer the young fella anymore. The young, brilliant guy. I know. The kid was, you know. And this is the thing. Um, <laughs> golden boy stuff ends when you're not a boy anymore, you know. And it's got a, it's got a, there are some guys who will last forever. They'll always be the golden boy. I have a friend in Australia who's 86 years old and he was the Elvis of Australia when I was little and him and I are still friends. And, and his nickname was the golden boy when, when he was young, but he truly is still the golden boy to me, even though he's 86, he's got white hair like me <laughs> um, and, and everything. And he's just the same but he's an old man, but he still, he still comes across that way. You know what I mean? So he hasn't let it get to him, you know? It's a, it's a, it's a, a spirit. It's sort of a, exactly. right? yeah. It, did you ever allow yourself to enjoy those, those really high profile moments or oh, are absolutely. you? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Well, like, my brother Phil and I, we, we played for the closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games in Sydney. Massive, yeah. That's the biggest crowd still to this day in the history of this, of this planet. 3.75 billion people watching, right? 200,000 people in the stadium, the greatest spectacle of all time, handled so well by, by my home country. But we were standing up on the top of the stadium looking down on this spectacle and we were about to go and do it and i said to him my god take a photo of this in your mind because it will never happen again in our lifetime and i truly savored every moment of that experience you know and i'm so glad that i got to share it with my brother that i love and adored so much you know and um and we were people don't realize this they think it was a, a uh, uh, everybody had to mime, but my brother and I were actually playing live. It was a backing track, but the, our guitar playing was actually live. And, and the technology to make that happen was pretty amazing. Mm. So You must have nerves of steel, Tommy. Um, yes, I do. I can <laughs> honestly say. Um, uh, the only time I've been nervous was... Um, at, when I did a television show where I wasn't playing and the guy was, was going to tell a bit of my early life and, and interview me. And I was cool about it right until they introduced me and I walked out on the set and I sat down and I felt this boom in my stomach. And all of a sudden this starts to happen. <laughs> yeah. And you, you weren't holding your guitar, right? Exactly. So it's like you didn't have your shield, your armor. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, 
in terms of, of, I was really glad that you mentioned George Benson, because I feel like George Benson is one of those guys oh. that doesn't really get mentioned except by guitar players. He's amazing, right? George Benson is far better than anyone else has ever been out there. And people don't know that. Jazz players, um, j jazz buffs, jazz people, blah, blah, blah. If you listen to George Benson's playing, you'll hear the best phrasing, the best ideas, the greatest tone, the, the most incredible artist. What a singer, what a player, what a writer. But because he had fame and fortune, jazz people want to disown him. And you know what? I don't give a shit about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And neither yeah. does George because he's a dear friend of mine that I adore and love and respect and admire. And he's still better than anybody I've ever heard. You know what I mean? Wes Montgomery was his idol. And of course, um, but what George did, he was the next link in that chain. He took what George, uh, what uh, Wes did and did so much more with it. And um, he's by far the best jazz guitar player that has ever lived. And he, I remember someone saying years ago that he, when he got his start, that he was like a, like a Jimi Hendrix. Like he was doing things you couldn't even figure out how oh, he was doing. Unbelievable. He's, he still is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I sincerely hope that his health holds well for him for, at his age. Um, and he's a very dear brother. And every time I call him, he always says, hey, man, thanks for calling. You're a brother to me. You know, he's like, he's, he's really, really sweet. But if you listen to his soloing, his playing, holy hell, there's nobody can play like that. Yeah, I'm so happy you mentioned him because I, he's one of my favorites and I'm not a musician at all, but it's like, but for my ears, I just kind of go, this guy is from another planet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a million really boring chord melody jazz guitar players out there that bore me to tears. Would you play a melody, please? You know what I mean? Don't show me how many chords you know. Don't show me how many chords per bar you can play. I don't want to know that. I want to hear you play something that really moves me in, in here. And that, 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 that's why, you know, there, you know, I play at jazz festivals, but I play melody. And when I improvise, I want to have fun and fly my kite and have a great time. And people love it, you know. I remember one time, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. Yeah. There's, there's a jazz uh, trumpeter from Australia named James Morrison, who is a genius. And him and I played a show together in this very prestigious venue in Sydney. Place was packed. And we had one of the greatest nights of our lives. We were like flying by the seat of our pants. We were taking all sorts of risks. And we were just really putting it all out there. And it was just smoking. And the review in the paper the next day was, it was a bit entertaining. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> it is sad. Yeah. Yeah. They missed the whole point. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that's why when, when a young guy says to me, um, I want to be a jazz guitar player, I'm like, great. But do you want to make a living or do you want to play jazz guitar? You know? 
you better, if you're going to play jazz guitar, then, you know, be faithful to the roots of, of, of uh, uh, to the, all the giants who came before you. But don't forget to have some fun and enjoy, right. it and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what's your take on someone who, who else I also love this guy is Mark Knopfler. Is, is oh. he, how would you describe him? Oh man, what a unique individual and a beautiful guy. I love Mark, you know, him and I recorded together uh, on, on a previous album of mine. And he's so sweet. What he plays, have you heard that song of his, um, the song for Sonny Liston? Oh, yeah. God, what he's, listen to his guitar part on that. I mean, it's masterpiece. And, and it's like, it cannot be anyone else. Right. It's, that's him. And I love that about him. When, when I asked him to play on my album, he emailed me back saying, I would love to, just none of that fast shit. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> um, what, what was he talking about? The stuff, but not stuff that you do, that, that fast stuff, just in general, no fast stuff. Yeah, no fast stuff. Everything's got to be laid back and in the pocket. So we did a song that, that he'd written, which sounds a little like um, a Randy Newman song. Hmm. Yeah, it's one of those kind of comedy songs. And we sound like a couple of old drunk, drunks at the bar, you know. Were Dire Straits on your radar in the 70s? Yes. I can still remember the moment. I was living in a, in a house with a, a saxophone player and his girlfriend who was a singer. So three of us were sharing a house. And early evening, there's a knock on the door and I answered the door. And it was a young drummer who had been coming to me just to hang out and get some advice and stuff. We were just good pals. And he had a look on his face like he'd had an epiphany or something. And I said, well, hey, Ralphie, what's up? He said, he gave me a cassette. He said, listen to this. And it was, it was Sultan's A Swing. And he said, this band is unbelievable. I've never heard music like that. And I, I, I'm listening to it and I said, have you ever heard The Shadows? And he said, no. I said, there's a direct link from that guitar playing and that guitar sound back to Hank Marvin. And I was right. You were right. <laughs> but you could hear Mark even then was just ridiculous. Totally. Oh, nobody sounded like him.
in terms of louder music. Um, in Australian terms, I was a big fan of Colt Chisel. I really liked Jimmy Barnes Me a lot. Too. Love um, Chisel. Right? I love Chisel and I love Jimmy Barnes. And I also was a huge fan of The Saints. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's some loud, fast music. How does that stuff connect with you? It's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. Yeah. And, you know, I like everything. I like to hear, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan play The Sky is Crying and B.B. King, when I first met you, babe, baby, you were just sweet 16. You know, <laughs> I love that just as much as I love hearing uh, Segovia uh, play Albanese or, you know, uh, as much as I love uh, hearing Sonny Landreth or, uh, or Bonnie Raitt or, you know, I, the truth is I don't sit around listening to guitar players very much. Mm. I mostly listen to singers and songwriters. That's what I mostly listen to because that's what, that's what moves my soul. Like when Bonnie Raitt came out with Nick of Time, it just, wow, it split the atom for me because mm. he was a song about something really personal. A friend of mine, she cries at night and she calls me on the phone. She sees babies everywhere she goes and she wants one of her own. She's waited long enough, she says, and still he can't decide. Pretty soon she'll have to choose and it tears her up inside. She's scared, scared to run out of time. Holy shit. If, yeah. I, could, if I could write something that good, wow, I'd be the king of the world, you know? <laughs> But how good is she, you know? I mean, she's, she's a, a quadruple threat. Oh, my God. She's unbelievable. Right? And then you remember when, um, you remember when uh, Aretha Franklin did uh, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman at the, at the Kennedy Center and how she came out and changed the whole world just by being Aretha. That's the kind of stuff that I watch. I watch you know, Billy Joel and Ray Charles together singing Baby Grand. I watch Ray, he's the, my mojo source. I watch Sting singing Fragile with, uh, with Stevie Wonder uh, and stuff like that. That's what I watch, you know what I mean? I don't sit and examine blah, 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 solo on such and such a record. I've already done all that when I was young, you know? Right. If you want to hear some good rock and roll soloing, then Steve Lukather is your man. You, you go back to Breakdown Dead Ahead by, by Boss Gags, and that guitar solo will just tear your head off. You, you listen to Luke on um, Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Holy shit, what a solo. Um, you know, everything he does, I'll Be Over You by, by Toto. The ending of, of um, uh, Rosanna. Um, anything I can name it all. They're the they're the guys who rock my world, you know. And um, R Ringo's drumming on um, uh, Hard Day's Night or um, uh, Ticket to Ride. Listen to Ticket to Ride as a drummer; it'll blow your mind. You know, that's the stuff that 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 moves me. You know. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm a writer, and so I hear lyrics first. Um, before I hear anything. Um, right. And when you were talking about melody, can you just explain that from a, from a rudimentary point of view? You were saying melody over 
um, what were you saying? How you hear mel You were saying play melody is what you were talking about a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure you. Well, I just feel particularly if it's a song that the world loves, like "Imagine" by John Lennon, or "Summer Over the Rainbow," or "Mona Lisa," or um, "The Greatest Love of All." Well, do not mess with those melodies play them properly be respectful learn them properly if you want to put your own twist on it that's a different matter but make sure that you learn those songs as the composer intended mm. that's what i think and then you can do your your thing with it uh, people who practice uh, vocal and guitar um, pyrotechnics with a with a song that has a lot of meaning to me it's it's hard for me to watch that or to listen to that you know when i play imagine the first thing i do is hear john lennon singing in my head and and sing those words what what people especially guitar players they'll learn a song but they don't know the words and Chet Atkins taught me right from when I was little. When you learn this song, learn the lyrics, know what you're playing about, know what the song's about and have the lyric there in your mind when you're playing the melody. And so that's what I do. And um, it's a great roadmap for you to, to, do, do, uh, to serve the music properly. So what you're saying is that it, it informs the phrasing. Exactly. Yeah, yes. got it. It makes it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, Too many I, do the guitar. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm doing this song on the guitar. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you the story of this song when I play it. So your relationship with the singer is a very important one. Yeah. Well, when, I, when I'm playing, say if I'm playing duets with John Knowles or with somebody where I'm just playing the melody, I'm not embellishing, I'm not playing chords, I'm, then I am the lead singer. Right, right. In terms of, I, I think about thing, we mentioned Jimmy Barnes with, with Chisel. Jimmy mm. still sounds really strong to me. Oh, man, he's, right? He, so does Ian Moss. So does Ian Moss. Th those yeah. guys still have the power and the muscle, which is sort of defies what you would expect. Whereas I listen to Axl Rose, who I always liked, but I think he's really blown his voice out. Um, mm. do, do you think that that is just a matter, like for Jimmy, um, is that a freak of nature or is that something that by design, that is just like self-preservation for a musician? Well, I think, I think what happened with Jimmy is he got sober in the, at the right time. Um, I don't know his personal story, but I've known Jimmy since he was young and observed him, you know, on a diet of vodka and cocaine. Uh, and it's, it's hard to survive. If you survive it and you get it together and you find your spirituality, then your body will bounce back if you're lucky, right? Some people that I'm, who have been close to me too, didn't bounce back because they were heavy smokers or they had a bad diet or, you know, they were just unlucky, you know. The, the fact that I'm talking to you today in feeling great and being productive is a bit of a miracle if, uh, if you knew about my younger years, you know. 
Um, so I'm grateful that A, I've never smoked cigarettes. I've never really drank strong liquor. I love wine and I've loved uh, beer and stuff like that. And I've been a heavy drinker, but I've never, I've never gone to that real extreme. And then when I stopped drinking and got my shit together, uh, my body was able to bounce back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am a professor at a university and for my day job. And I, one time I remember I lost my voice and I, really, and I couldn't teach. That, that's my instrument for, for teaching stu college students. Um, for you, it's your hands. For a singer, it's their voice. Have you, do, you, do you think about, and did you always think about, you know, protecting, protecting your hands? Is that something that you, is on your mind a lot? Um, not really. Um, even when I was younger, um, I, we, we had a house in England for a while and we had open fireplaces and I would cut wood, I would go get wood, cut wood with an ax and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'd feel it for a few shows, be like, oh, gee, you know, my, my hands are stiff from yeah. doing this. And, but I, I didn't want to not do that because I get a great pleasure from cutting wood and cutting, mowing grass, all those things. So I've always done those things. But, you know, I've got a, uh, I don't know if you can see that, but this knuckle right here is yeah. really good. Uh, I dislocated that finger in January this year and it, there's been no time for it to heal. So it's, it's still like that. Oh yeah. So I size that it's supposed to look like that. What did you do? I fell, uh, I moved some luggage and a car was backing up and I just moved out of the way and I fell straight down. And um, uh, where's my phone? I could show you a picture of it. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, where did my phone go? Oh, here it is. Yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those photos that could easily turn your stomach. Oh no, it, it, it looks like it hurt, Tommy. Oh, it did. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just finding it for you. It's coming right up, don't panic. No, no, it's totally fine. Yeah, I think about this stuff a lot. You know, I'm about to turn 50 and I think like, you know, I, I self-care is a very important thing. Yeah. Let's see. Good God, Tommy, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. The other angle. Holy. Okay, so let me ask you this, because for the for the listener who can't see that, that looks like science fiction, man. It does. No, it was this. This here was over there. Yeah, for the, for the listener, I mean, it is literally twisted to a point where it's it's stomach turning. Exactly. Well, so the good thing was. Uh, first of all, the ambulance came and they gave me a shot in there when the pain started to hit. And, um, and then the doctor, uh, I had two x-rays done and the doctor looked at it and he said, it's the good thing is it's not broken, but it is badly dislocated and I can pop it back in for you. And, uh, and so he, they, they did one more x-ray to double check the joint and they said, it doesn't look like there's any hairline cracks or anything, blah, blah, blah. We're gonna pop it back in. Are you ready? And I said, yeah, and I just looked away. And when I looked back, it was normal. But <laughs> uh, man, it just was huge. And I had to go and play a show that night. And what I did is I taped these two together and I played like, like this, with yeah. these, this tape back and it was okay. 
Really? Yeah. I mean, there had to be a, a moment though where you must have been during, oh. where you must be like, well, that's it for me. Yeah, my, my, my playing life flashed before me. Right, right. You, you know, when we first started the interview, you mentioned Django Reinhardt, who did perhaps one of the most amazing and miraculous and divine musical pivots that I think oh. has ever been done. No one's, no one's ever come close to what he's done, ever. Right? I mean, did you think about him when you, <laughs> when you take those things together? No. Oh. Um, you could give me 20 fingers and I, no one could come close to Django. He was a work of God and, and, um, and just what we needed at that time, I guess. Um, you know, Django, uh, the story goes that Django, it took Django more than a year before he could even play at all. And he was only 19 years old when that happened. And he was already the golden boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he already was established as the guy. Yeah, he was, he was like, this is the prince of the guitar. This is the man. And everybody knew it. And, um, but he spawned his legacy has been, has gone far and wide everywhere. And there's nobody who's, who has a legacy like Django and uh, he's, he's so, so amazing. He really is. Can you even explain how he was able to be, to be what he was with such physical limitations? I mean, that is remarkable. Well, so these two fingers were, were like heavy weight, right? So he did everything, but he could fret with his little finger a little bit. So a few chords he could figure out, but it was mostly all here. Yeah. This finger became that long. It just grew and grew and because he's reaching for stuff all the time. People don't realize this, but our body will change to what we needed to do. And so his hands change shape the same as mine have. And, um, you know, you asked Larry Carlton about his wonky first finger. Why is it like that? Because I've held a pick like this and I've dug in with it. You know, so his, this finger here is like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you played that show after your accident, which was only a couple of hours later, were you in pain? No. Wow. No, all right. No, I, but if I, if I banged on the guitar, then I'd be in pain. Yeah, I just had to be very careful. It's a remarkable. <laughs> that you came through that? Well, it's, it still doesn't work properly and I'm, I can't bend it any further than that. Um, but, and this is still sore and swollen. So some days it's bigger than, but it's pretty big today. But, it's, but it is getting better. Well, I hope so. It's still, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, are, you do seem like you are more creative than ever. Do you feel, uh, a general excitement about your creative life that, that you feel the sky is the limit and you're still evolving as a player? Well, definitely. Um, and, you know, I'm always hoping for a good day. I'm always hoping to achieve something good. Um, in this time of, of lockdown, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been interesting creatively for me. And, and uh, but I've spent a lot more time with my, with my family, being dad and being granddad I've, I've spent a lot more time doing that. So my playing, I have to keep coming back to it to keep it going, you know? 
you come from a tradition of, of family players. Is there, do your kids play music? Do you play music with them? Is that a language you share? Um, sort of on and off. My, I have two daughters and a granddaughter in England, and I'm in California right now with my youngest daughter, who's five years old. Hmm. And, um, so I'm kind of, I've gone into her world a lot in the last couple of months. Are you self-critical? Are you, um, how do you keep yourself, I don't want to say honest, that sounds like the wrong word, um, uh, but how do you keep yourself honesty, in check? Honesty is a, a good thing, uh, as in, it, it's up to us to try and live by rigorous, rigorous honesty every day. And we still get up to bullshit, but, um, you know, I think, um, it's my family who really keeps me in check and who, who, you know, I have to remain in a, in a position of being accountable uh, to myself, to the, my, whatever my higher power is and, uh, and to my family and friends. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, always trying to find better ways to live, to behave, to, um, uh, to help others, to try to remind myself to put others first, because when you grow up, especially if you've got the golden boy syndrome, like I, like I did, it, you know, it, you're the center of your world. And, and that's bad. You know, the best thing that ha ever happened to me was seeing someone so much better, right when I was at the height of my goldenness, you know, and my ego needed to be crushed. Mm. I, yeah, that's what really needed to be happened. And, um, you know, the older I get, the less I care about, you know, uh, I, I've never been competitive. I've never been a person who uh, thought, you know, oh, I'm a lot better than him or blah, blah. I, I never think that way. Um, I had to learn to be kind and to be uh, uh, putting other people first because the way I was when I was young was, it was all about me. And that's normal for, for kids who get all the attention, you know? So um, yeah, seeing a guy, I, I, I arrived in the big city when I was about 18, I arrived in Sydney and I was the best thing I'd ever seen to that point. And so, um, you know, you've got to remember, I was playing guitar, playing bass, playing pedal steel, playing banjo, singing harmonies, doing comedy, fixing flat tires, setting up gear, and being a part of a show and, uh, and stealing the show from the main guy. That's, that's where I, when I arrived in Sydney, I was playing in all these country dates. So I was the best thing since sliced bread. And a friend of mine who's a good drummer said to me, I'm gonna take you to see a band tonight. And I said, oh, great. And we go down to this club and it was at the beginning of like fusion music, you know, Lee Rittenauer, Captain Fingers and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Mid seventies. And there was a band who were very progressive, very fusion. I'd never heard that music before. Anyway, the band start to play and the first guitar solo, the guy's playing 
uh, a bit like Lee right now, a bit like Larry Carlton, we're all sustained, creamy distortion, an absolutely gorgeous choice of notes. And it's like someone punched me right in the stomach. And I was winded, I was like a whipped puppy. I, I crawled out of there, you know, just go licking my wounds, just going, I know nothing. And I knew it. I know how to play all these tunes. I know how to play fast, slow, in between, but I really know nothing. And, I, and it was a great moment in my life because I was like, I've got to get to work. I, I realized it was like the greatest slap in the face. Stop everything and start again. So I did. Because you're veering towards what they call like tall poppy syndrome, right? Where you sort of like, you mm. start thinking, I'm the, I'm the guy. And then you find that you're not the guy, which is actually a good thing to happen to you. Oh, you're done right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it, and, but you know, it's the ignorance of country living, of everybody worships you, blah, 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 all that stuff, you know. And I'm so glad it, it happened, you know. And also being young and talented and handsome, you also tend to believe what's being told to you about you. And I think it makes you stop progressing the way you should be progressing because you can kind of, you start resting on, on your laurels. And then I think that's where the creative evolution might even start getting stunted. Yeah. Well, I think it's all born out of ignorance. And, you know, my father died when I was 10. I had no role model except for egotistical men who chase women when they were married, stuff like that, you know? So there was a lot of bad shit going on around me when I was young. And, um, and I'm sure it, it uh, didn't help when, you know, I grew up a little and started to make some money and was surrounded by people who were into partying and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I went down that path too. I went down that rabbit hole and, um, you know, by the grace of God, I'm here today. Yeah. Temptation is a powerful thing. Oh my God. That's right. Sure. I mean, but even in like, in like St. Augustine's confessions, he actually talks a lot about how he felt temptation too. And then it, it worked out for him. <laughs> it worked yeah. out for him as well. So, I mean, we all do that. Um, just to finish up with, I'm wondering, is there, you seem like a guy who has had friendships for a really long time. You seem like a good friend. Um, ha have you had profound, long friendships? That is that my is my perception correct? Yeah, I still do. Yeah, I've had a couple of friends that I really trusted, who disappointed me, um, and I learned great lessons from that. And I had to learn to say, what's my part in that? Um, and so it helped me to find my faults and my defects um but i'm you know hopefully i'm a better person now than i've was when i was younger i believe i have a lot of good character traits as well as i have some bad ones that i that i'm still working on and that involves you know uh being honest and and being held accountable um and none of us are perfect and all the cracks in us are where the light gets in. So, you know, I'm, I have to be in a place of willingness where I can, I can be willing to talk about my faults 
and what I've learned from them and that kind of thing, if it's going to help someone else. Yeah. And I think, you know, playing an instrument or being a person, those are things that probably are not really masterable, right? You just have to keep going. That's exactly right. Yeah. Everything is a work in progress. I was only thinking to myself this morning that when I look back on the last, say, 15 years of my life, that all the things that happened, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now, feeling really good about where I am if all those things hadn't happened. Mm. You know, where would, maybe I'd be dead. Maybe I'd be, I don't know, a billionaire. Maybe I'd be unhappy or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But I do know what I'm feeling today and being present is my, my greatest gift I can give you. And in terms of uh, creative goals, do you even bother <clears throat> setting those out for yourself or do you just sort of see what happens and see where you're feeling? Okay. Well, you know, my, my goal was to make, the, make my, my um, latest album okay. uh, of all original songs and to make it sound better than anything I'd done before. And I think we achieved that. Um, and we, we shot videos that I think are on a level that, that is far greater than anything I've done before, getting the right people around me. My management team, my promotion team, I'm part of a working team of people who have taken everything that I dreamed of to another level. Yeah. So there's that, that's bubbling and going on right now. I'm working on a film and the excitement and, and the pressure of that has been wonderful. Um, and so that's another kind of pipe dream of mine that I wanted to get in to do music in film a lot more. And that's starting to happen. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of really wonderful things going on and I have to be present for them to happen. If I'm all over the place being Mr. Party Boy, uh, I'm going to miss the boat, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Party Boy always misses the boat. He may not miss that party, but he'll miss the boat. He missed the boat. Yeah, and the goose that laid the golden egg will fly right by him. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. He won't even realize it. Um, yeah. An absolute treat to talk to you. Uh, you Thank my you. My fellow Californian. It's nice to know you're here. And I'm a U.S. citizen now. <laughs> and you're a U.S. citizen. Um, it's very cool. I've wanted to chat with you for a long time. And, and what, a, what a remarkable conversation. I appreciate you, you um, going deep with me. Anytime. Anytime. Cool. Well, I hope to have you back on the show. And congratulations on the album. It's absolutely remarkable. And, um, and continue on, my friend. I'll do it. Thanks, brother. Well, that is a man who is as elegant as his music, Tommy Emmanuel. TommyEmmanuel.com is the way to go. Uh, find out what's going on with Tommy. Get his new album, Tommy Songs. It is remarkable. And if you're new to him, uh, it's a great way to start and work your way backwards. If you're an old fan, you know what I'm talking about. Go to AlexGreenOnline.com if you like. It's the place to go to find out what's going on in my world. Uh, although if you listen to this podcast... You know that I talk about what's going on in my world rather incessantly. My new book, Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight, as I mentioned at the top of the program, is out. 
Get it from your local indie bookstore. They'll appreciate it, and it'll help keep them in business during this very complicated and tricky time. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating, maybe a little comment or two, and tell all your friends, okay? You can follow me on Twitter, at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram, at Embers Podcast, or you can email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Who do you want on the show? Who do you want me to bring back on the show? Let me know, and I'll see what I can do. How about closing things off with a fuller listen to Tommy Emanuel's classic, Mombasa? Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Bombshell Radio.